The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. That's right, Bear Down Bears fans. It's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation. Bill Zimmerman with you after... Well, that's it, folks. That's all she wrote. A brutal loss to the L.A., don't call them San Diego Chargers, which, as far as I'm concerned, has ended the Chicago Bears season for 2019. A disappointing one, to say the least, that the Bears aren't even halfway through the season, and there is little to no hope of this thing getting on the tracks and them making the playoffs. There's plenty to get into, but let's start right there. Let's start with the math, with the common sense, if it will be, as to why this team will not make the playoffs, no matter how good the turnaround might be if you're a hope springs eternal kind of a guy. And the bottom line there is there's just too much ground that the Bears have to make up. Look, Don't worry about the NFC East. Those teams are irrelevant. Doesn't matter if they finish seven and nine. Let's focus on the wild card situation because that's all that matters to the Bears. They are not going to win the division. The Vikings and Packers are both way too far ahead. You may be able to hope for one of those teams to fall back to the pack. Certainly not both of those teams to fall backwards. So, Looking at that, they're not winning the division. I'm going to say Green Bay is going to win this division and probably win it pretty easily because the Packers have a, or the, I'm sorry, the Vikings have a couple tough games coming up here. So the Packers win the division. All right. So now with the division sailed, you're down to just two wild card positions. Now, can they catch the Vikings? The Vikings start losing some games. Obviously, they beat them, they could get a tiebreaker there but it's not likely. On top of that, you've got the Carolina Panthers that have a nice record at this point. Obviously showed some warts last week, but the Panthers are ahead of them. Not only that, in the NFC West, you've got three football teams besides the Niners, which are undefeated. You've still got the Seahawks and the Rams. Now, Here's the thing. You could sit there and say, oh, well, the Rams aren't that good. The Bears have to play the Rams. You could sit there and say the Panthers aren't that good. You could sit there and make all the excuses as to why. But the bottom line is the Bears would have to figure out a way to jump the Vikings or the Seahawks. I don't see it happening. I don't see any shot at a wild card. I don't think 10 and 6 would guarantee the Bears to get a wild card spot. 11 and Five is what they would have to do to, I think, guarantee themselves a wild card spot this year. And an 11 and five record for this team that's currently sitting at three and four. Do you really think this team can suddenly go eight and one? The afterburners can just get flipped on after what we've seen for two months. There's not a shot this team is going eight and one. Seven and two. Also, if you want to say, well, 10 and six gives them a shot. Seven and two also seems like a near impossibility if they if things get better five and four six and three sure that might be a possibility but that's eight and eight nine and seven now if you ask me from what i've seen 
I think this team's going to have a losing record. This is 8-8 eight eight at best, but with some of these games coming up here with the Chiefs and the Rams and the Packers again, you know, the Cowboys, which we know can can be a, you know, they can put a lot of points on the board if they, if they get things right from week to week. With these games coming up, there's going to be some L's on the board. I think this team's probably looking at 7-9. and nine. I don't think it's going to fall apart. I don't think they're going 4-12 and 12 and collapsing, but I do think they're going to struggle here down the stretch and so let's take a minute here and and look at the chargers game briefly because i don't think fans want to spend a lot of time looking at a game that basically ended the season but let's look at a couple of the key things here key things here how the defense played how the running game looked and mitch trubisky now let's start with the running game because matt Nagy, which if you listen to this podcast regularly you know I'm a supporter of Matt Nagy, but you also know that I've been critical of how poorly he's been able to design run plays, scheme a running attack. It's not there. It's totally missing from this offense. It was missing last year from this offense, and it's been frustrating to say the least. I even suggested last week that next season there should be a run game coordinator, another coach that's great at the running game, maybe someone from a Kyle Shanahan type offense that really knows how to run the football that can sit down with Nagy and help him scheme a running attack. And the other thing that I've been critical of Matt Nagy is the fact that I haven't seen him really be able to adjust. I haven't seen that fantastic halftime adjustment where something wasn't working in the second half and or in the first half and bam, second half it starts working great. I just, there's flaws in Matt Nagy, the head coach. I still support Matt Nagy, the head coach, but there's flaws and things you need to see improve. So what I saw against LA was something great to see from Matt Nagy, who finally sat there and said, what I wanna do offensively is not working, whether it be because defenses have figured him out, whether it be because his quarterback cannot execute his offense, whether it be a little bit from each column, regardless of what the situation is, what he wanted to do isn't working. And when that's not working, he needs his passing game to be effective for his running game to be effective. So he threw that out the window, said, screw it, we're going I formation, we're using a fullback, we are going to run the football. Maybe he needed the heckling from the media. Maybe he needed to snap, but he finally said, we're changing the mindset of this offense and it worked. We finally saw what David Montgomery can be, which is a three down feature back. He can do it all. Yet, yeah, look, he doesn't have the crazy breakaway speed. His huge chunk gain, 55 yards, whatever it was, he was caught from behind. That's going to happen, but that's okay. We don't need him if he breaks free to get to the end zone every time. But those big chunk plays, those 20, 30, 40 yard runs, that's what Kareem Hunt, the football player, can do. Forget Kareem Hunt, the person. Kareem Hunt, the football player, can do. That's why he was so effective in that Chiefs offense. That's who David Montgomery can be, and that's who we saw against the L.A. Chargers. They need to feature David Montgomery. They have weapons on offense. Maybe not as many as we thought with the struggles of someone like Trey Burton, but they have weapons. They need to make sure those weapons are utilized. And Matt Nagy finally said, I'm going to utilize David Montgomery. I'm going to utilize the fact that my offensive line has the ability to have a power run blocking attack. And that's what he did. He attacked the defensive front. He got some push. David Montgomery got some space and we saw good things. Now, there are some other things that he needs to start doing here. He needs to start becoming flexible. For the longest time here, this was Matt Nagy's running his offense and he needs guys that fit his offense and that's what's going to happen moving forward. But at some times, you need to be able to adjust. And let's look at Jordan Howard. Now, you know how critical I was of Jordan Howard and I'm still critical of Jordan Howard because Bears fans, a lot of them, looked at Jordan Howard as this key feature back, this guy that gets 25 carries a game and is gonna get 1,300 yards and 12 touchdowns. Jordan Howard is not 
not that guy. But Jordan Howard has proven with how he was utilized pre-Nagy, with how Doug Peterson is utilizing him, that he can be a key component to the offense. And Doug Peterson, to his credit, is fantastic at adjusting his offense to what the team's, what the players' individual strengths are on that side of the football. He's using Jordan Howard like he used LeGarrette Blunt a few years ago, and it's working well. He's got Miles Sanders, he's rotating his backs in and out, he's doing a fantastic job. The Eagles rushing attack is what's powering that team when they win. The Eagles have been really inconsistent but when they're playing well, their running game isn't playing well. This isn't a Carson Wentz throws for 350 yards offense. This is a control the clock, control the football, run it and you know wear down the defense and it's working well. That's what Matt Nagy needs to do. He needs to sit there and start figuring things out on how to utilize his talent on the offensive side of the football and figure out ways to put them in positions to succeed. Not this play should work and it doesn't because you know it's, it's a mess. So Tariq Cohen, who's been basically missing since last November, how can you better utilize him? How can you get him the ball in space? Stop running him up the middle get him the ball in space and get him to have some success. We know how dangerous Tariq Cohen can be, but you have to put him in the right place for him to utilize his speed and his agility and everything that he can bring to the table. You need to figure out a way to get Anthony Miller the football, who is a playmaker, who has a nose for the end zone. We saw it last year. I get Anthony Miller's not perfect. I get Anthony Miller may not even know the whole playbook, but Anthony Miller, when he freelances and finds pockets in a defense, is dangerous. And Nagy, I understand Trubisky's limitations. We're going to get into that. But Nagy needs to start figuring these things out. It may not be easy, but it's what he has to do. So the fact that we saw that against LA, we saw him change his entire scheme to make sure he could run the football is a positive sign. And I need to see more of that Matt Nagy moving forward the rest of the season. Whether this season is over or not, and like I said, I think it is, I need to see some growth from the head coach as well. Like I said, I'm still a supporter of him, and the reason I'm still a supporter of him is if he can figure some other things out, you know, making that right decision with, with the game on the line, I, I come, I'm with everyone else. I completely disagree with how he handled the, the field goal at the end of this Charger game. He mishandled how he did the field goal in the Dolphin game. We've seen him mismanage the end of the games. We've seen him sometimes pass when he needs to run. And, and, and look, I, I get that. Nagy needs to grow. He's still learning. This is only his second year as a head coach, but he's had some pretty darn good success the first year and a half he's he's been in the league. So I need to see Nagy grow. But why I have faith in Nagy is because despite the mess that it is, his offensive game plan in terms of passing the football is very good. Now, it hasn't been successful this year, and for me, that's because of the execution of the quarterback. Mitch Trubisky, and we'll, we'll get to this now, played better against the Chargers, but he's still leaving way too many yards on the football field. He cannot keep doing that. And look, the few Trubisky supporters are left, and I see them on Twitter, and I see what they're saying about, oh, look at the play he made here. Look at the throw he made here. And look, last year, that's where I was too. I was looking at those plays going, that's the potential. There it is. There it is. That's why this guy was the number two pick. But the issue is not the plays he is making. The issue is the plays he's not making. He's leaving yards on the field, whether it's because he chooses not to run, which obviously has been a problem this entire season, whether it be him misreading his RPO read and not utilizing the play, sometimes just getting brain lock, as we've seen, and him literally freezing in the middle of a, a play and not figuring out what to do with the football. Matt Nagy is still simplifying things way too much. He talked about wanting to do offense 2.0. The problem is he's not even doing offense 1.0 right now. I feel like he's on offense 0.5 because the amount of one read and two read options that he's giving Trubisky right now is still way too much because 
Mitch cannot see the whole field. He's still cutting the field in half. He's still just saying, all right, here's your read. If he's not open, either run or throw it away. There's way too much basic, really basic passing plays because that's where he is with Trubisky. He cannot trust Mitch Trubisky to scan a field, find the open guy and make the right throw, make the timely throw. Figure out who is going to open, who is going to get open. You know, there's there's a lot, a lot of moving pieces, obviously, in a defense and them disguising coverages or disguising blitzes. There's so much that he needs to be picking up. And right now, the game is too fast for him. It is not that he doesn't have any arm talent or quarterback talent or that he's not a good guy that the locker room would support. The, these aren't the issues with Mitch Trubisky. The problem with Mitch Trubisky is he's just, it's not just you sit there and see he misses like Taylor Gabriel, which obviously that would have put the game away. It's not just that he misses a throw from time to time. There are plays, and if you sit there and watch the coaches tape, the all 22, you will see countless plays, not just in the Charger game, but in the Saint game and in games previously, where there are receivers and Burton tight ends that are just open. They have a lot of space and Trubisky does not see them. That's the problem. So not only is he missing throws, he's missing open targets. And I get it. Every quarterback's going to miss something from time to time. Aaron Rodgers going to miss a throw here or there. Aaron Rodgers going to miss a read. I get that. And I get that's the Trubisky supporter. Hey, not all quarterbacks are perfect. I get that. But I'm not seeing enough positives to offset the negatives. So for me, at this point, we're in year three. People want to say, well, it's year two. First year didn't count. We've, we've gone over that. There is enough starts under Mitch Trubisky's belt that he needs to be seeing things better than he is. And I know he was a project because he didn't get a lot of reps in college. But the bottom line is he just isn't far enough along. So for me, now that we're at the cusp of having to commit to Mitch Trubisky, you simply cannot do it. So that moves us to... Where exactly can the Chicago Bears go from here with the quarterback situation? And none of the options are going to be that appealing to Bears fans. That's the unfortunate thing. I am a big Ryan Pace supporter, but he swung and missed at the quarterback. And that's brutal. And that's going to set the franchise back. And he is going to have to think on his feet and figure out how to tweak this to keep this Super Bowl window open before it closes here in a couple of years. And to do that, he's going to have to look at a veteran quarterback. He's going to have to draft another quarterback. And they're going to have to figure out the best way to move forward with that. I mentioned last week how much I like Josh Rosen. Would have liked to see them trade a, a low pick for Rosen. Didn't happen. Now. They obviously made no moves at the deadline. That's fine. So let's look at, to me, there's really only two guys that I think the Chicago Bears are going to look at next season in terms of their first choice to who can come in and lead this offense. The first guy who I think will not actually be an option is Alex Smith. It makes, it makes too much sense. He's a veteran. He's worked with Matt Nagy. He knows the system. The Redskins are going to have no interest in keeping him. He makes perfect sense for this team. The problem is, is that leg. That leg has seen 17 surgeries. I don't think Alex Smith's ever going to get on the football field again. He says he is. He says it's going to be next season. So the Bears can take a look at him in February and in March and look and see if this guy is a viable option at quarterback. If he is... I wouldn't be surprised if he's the guy that they sign, but I don't think he's going to be able to play. So that moves to the other option, which is Marcus Mariota. And I get it. When I bring up Marcus Mariota on Twitter, it's mostly met with negativity. And look, I get he has not had a lot of success in Tennessee. He was good early. He struggled late. But at the same time, as a Bears fan, if you support Jay Cutler, you usually say what? He, it's unfair. He had an offense, a new offensive coordinator every year. There was no consistency. The line play wasn't good enough. You know the Cutler excuses. Mariota's excuses are the exact same. He's had a revolving door at offensive coordinator. He's had some really bad offensive lines. He hasn't had much to throw to either if you look around and see what's on that Tennessee offense. So Mariota, to me, is a guy... And it may not work, 
but he is a guy that may need a fresh start. And his skill set is what Matt Nagy's looking for. He's a smart guy. He should be able to make the reads Nagy wants him to make. He has some mobility. He's the type of guy that fits this offense. If Mark Helfrich is still around next year, Mark Helfrich and him work together at Oregon. It makes, and obviously we know Ryan Pace loved him coming out of the draft. It makes a lot of sense that he is the guy that the Chicago Bears will look at. Now, if it's Mariota and Trubisky, open quote-unquote competition, I can live with that. What I would rather see is them draft a quarterback. Now, I don't necessarily want them to commit a second-round pick to a quarterback unless there is a guy that they love. Not a guy that's like, eh, he might work. A guy that they love. I don't want to see them commit to a, eh, that might work. You better love the guy because Pace really has one more shot at drafting a quarterback. Now, he wants to take a flyer on a fifth, sixth round pick and hope he turns into Gardner Minshew. That's fine. And if it doesn't work out, don't hold that against Ryan Pace. Rarely do mid to late draft picks as quarterback work out. But I'd like to see a veteran come in. I'd like to see them draft a quarterback late rounds next year. And then I'd like to see that 2021 first use that to draft a quarterback. And look, it may not work. I'm not saying this is a 100% foolproof plan. What I'm saying is this plan is better than what the current plan is with Trubisky and Daniel. And this plan could reinvigorize Marcus Variota and give the Bears a shot to compete for the division, get back in the playoffs. And if they get in the playoffs, you can get to a Super Bowl. And finally here, before we move forward with the podcast, just wanted to say one thing about the defense which played much better got to appreciate how much better the defense looked against the chargers but here's the one thing that i will say this defense which had major warts as we know against the raiders and against the saints did not look like themselves they had the same problem with the drive that resulted in the Melvin Gordon touchdown, which was a crushing touchdown. Now, here's the thing. I think part of this defense's problem has been attitude. I think with the offense as anemic as it is and the defense having to constantly fight for three and outs, I think that gets to a defense. They are human. They are emotional. They are frustrated. And if you have those down moments on a football field, you'll get flattened. And I think that's what happened to the Bears. The defense kept them in there against the Saints in the first half before things unraveled in the second half. I think at some point it was just too much for this defense. But here's what I'm going to say. That's unacceptable if that's what's happening. Because... What I'll say about that that Melvin Gordon touchdown, it, it was a blink of an eye that they scored. It was three plays. It was the Trubisky fumble, then it was the long gainer, and then it was the Melvin Gordon touchdown. It was the blink of an eye that they scored those points. Those points were crippling for that game. And the bottom line is it came off the Trubisky fumble, which, yeah, that's on Trubisky. But that's also where you need to see an elite defense, a defense of this caliber, of this magnitude, stepping up and getting the three and out, not allowing an offense to just march it down their throat. And that's exactly what happened there. So to me, I wonder if that defense trotted out there with slumped shoulders because they rolled their eyes after another Mitch Trubisky turnover. So this defense has played well overall. And with all the problems that they've had offensively, it is difficult to sit here and criticize the defense which I am not going to do as a as a whole. But I do need to say that if this defense wants to be considered elite, and there are plenty of elite defenses over the years that had to deal with mediocre to below average offenses, if that's the case, if they want to be elite, remember at the beginning of the year before it started, Eddie Jackson was talking, you know, supplanting the 85 Bears. They had that kind of expectations for their unit. You want to be like that unit? You need to step up and not get embarrassed, which is what happened against the Raiders, embarrassed, which is what happened in the second half against the Saints, and give up a crippling quick drive and quick points to the Chargers like they did after that turnover. It cannot happen. It cannot happen. And if this defense really wants to buckle down and be considered great, 
they need to get better. All right, we are going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we are going to have our guest. He is Windy City Gridiron Zone, Robert Schmitz, at Robert K. Schmitz on Twitter. He will be breaking down Mitch Trubisky, Matt Nagy, plenty to get to with him. So stick around. We'll be right back. All right, this is Bears Banter, Bill Zimmerman with you. And here is our guest, as promised. He is Robert Schmitz, at Robert K. Schmitz on Twitter, writer, podcaster, the Bear With Me podcast. You can catch him pretty much every post game, breaking down the good, the bad, and the ugly of every Bear game. And he joins us now. Joins us now. Robert, how you doing? I'm doing well. I, mean, I got to tell you, Bill, I am so excited to be on this show. I feel like I got invited to be part of the Hall of Heroes. I mean, I'm on the same podcast as Jim Miller, for crying out loud. Talk about some good company to be in, though. I'll tell you what, I wish we could be talking about a more positive conversation, don't you? Did not expect this out of this Bears team this year. No, this has been really frustrating here the last couple week weeks because, you know, the podcast that we've been doing, and, and, and you know, I'm, I'm on podcast podcast with EJ this week and you're on with me so we're all kind of swapping around this week but the mm-hmm. podcast the last couple weeks have been kind of clinging to hope and I think pretty much all of us now are sitting here with with the hope squash so we're, we're going to get into Nagy a lot here and we're going to get in, into Mitch Trubisky here and kind of go over some things but before we do give me your thoughts on the Chargers game specifically let's do something positive because look I, I can rehash everything I did a lot here at the start of the podcast I don't want to go over the Chargers game forever but tell me what you thought about Matt Nagy's commitment to the running game and how he accomplished that with an eye formation and a lot of different things that we did not think Matt Nagy would do. So it's pretty funny because, and we can talk more about this in a focus section because I know you and I are very big on this chicken or egg argument about Mitchell Trubisky versus Matt Nagy. But one thing that's been really interesting watching Nagy this season, I'm sure you've seen the same thing. Nagy seems like he has more of a shotgun style approach to offense where he just spits out a whole bunch of different running concepts and tries to see which one works. He even said, if I understand things correctly in a Monday night or in a Monday afternoon press conference, I listened to them on my drive home from work, uh, that he didn't even have eye formation in the playbook until the week of the Chargers game, and lo and behold, it was some of his most successful plays, which that in and of itself might be a little bit of a red flag, but I was excited that the Bears were able to get anything going on the ground at all. The Chargers defense is, it's not elite against the run, but it's better against the run than it is against the pass. So to see the Bears pick up just about any yards on the ground and give David Montgomery the chance to show the skills that he has, and oh boy, didn't he? Because some of those runs, they should have been, what, one or two yard gains, and he'd crack one tackle and then break another tackle, and suddenly he'd made it 10 yards down the field. Uh, It was just great to see this, especially given that I know that there's as much negativity surrounding the quarterback play as there is, being able to see them do just about anything on the ground that was successful was a nice surprise. Yeah, it really was a nice surprise, and and I want to get into a little bit more about Matt Nagy maybe evolving as a play caller and a, and, and a schemer on offense. But you know, you you bring up the, the the point that Nagy said that they didn't have the I formation, which is pretty surprising that you don't have like a a two tight end tight big I formation set that you can go to on fourth and inches or something like that. You know, they just mm-hmm. it's it's surprising it's not even in the playbook. So obviously, we know that last year Nagy struggled a lot with with scheming a, a, a productive running attack and, and Jordan Howard who who a lot of us were critical of last year is playing much better this year in Philadelphia and this year we know the running game has been even worse and I know the line play was bad early but it's not just you can't just blame the line play or the quarterback play what is it about Nagy prior to this I formation change that makes his running games this his running game so ineffective? So I was actually talking to Lester about this earlier today, and unfortunately I'm not going to be able to give you a fabulous answer here, but Bill, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I know you played line growing up, but it sure seems as I watch some of his running schemes that they're either a touch overcomplicated or they ask linemen to do things that are, I mean, legitimately difficult. Uh, I know that there are a couple, there's one particular play that comes to mind because certainly uh, another thing that I could talk about here is that Matt Nagy has this 
this bad habit of assuming that defenses will bite a fake that he throws them. One example being, I'm sure you remember it, I believe it was in the second quarter, he faked a pitch to Tariq Cohen before having Mitch Trubisky hand the ball off to David Montgomery, and he left the common pitch, uh, pitch side defender unblocked, and that guy just ignored the fake altogether and annihilated Montgomery pretty much as he got the football, and we're lucky that we didn't fumble it there. There are a couple of these play designs that I look at, and it's like, get that out of the playbook. That is not going to work. And then a couple of other uh, moments where I do think Nagy gets sold out by poor execution because this line is not performing at the level that I was anticipating they would. Part of that's because of Kyle Long, but with Kyle Long out, it's turned the focus on everybody else. And it kind of feels as if whether it's Whitehair or James Daniels or Bobby Massey, Rashad Coward, or Charles Leno, just to name all five, one of them will miss a block at a very random time and it'll completely annihilate individual running plays, which I understand that's how it goes, but it's still a bit of a bummer to watch. Yeah, and 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 here's what I will say as a, as a former mediocre offensive lineman, as you brought up, <laughs> and, and and the, and the naggy running scheme. Here, here's what here's what I would say. Let's I will make up a, a play. Let's say you have got a simple run play where Trubisky's under center, and he's going to just hand the ball off to Montgomery, who's you know whether single back, I formation, whatever you want to say, and the, you know the the play is designed to hit the B gap right between guard and tackle on on, on the left right. side. The play's going to hit pretty quickly. So so even if it's not blocked spectacularly, but you get, you know, Leno and you get Whitehair and maybe Daniels to get their guys properly, open up a few inches, you still think a good running back's going to be able to get two, three yards on that play. Even right. if Bobby Massey blows his assignment on the right side, the end over there is not going to have enough time to shuffle down the line and get to the running back in time. So a quick hitting play, just a traditional run, you know, it may not get for six, seven yards. It may not get for 25 yards, but it should be able to get some sort of something going forward. With a lot of naggy, what I've seen is there's so much delay in the running game because it's always in shotgun. There's never a running back running downhill. They get the ball. There's a pause. Every offensive lineman needs to do their assignment, not just to get a positive play, but to avoid an absolute disaster in the backfield. If one yep. offensive lineman misses, the whole play is exploded. Where, and in a lot of basic running plays, if one offensive lineman misses, you can still have a no gain, two gain, maybe even a four, five, six yard gain. Like I said, if the if the miss is on the backside, but if the miss is on the backside in a lot of these naggy schemes, it gives the defensive lineman the edge, whoever it may be, still plenty of time to react and get into the backfield and blow up the play. Oh, yeah. I mean, think about this. How many times, I feel like we've seen this a minimum of 30 times this season. Have you seen Trubisky take the snap, hand it off to Montgomery, who of course receives it at a standstill and runs into what just appears to be a cloud of blockers kind of throwing themselves at sort of a hole, but it's more like a divot by the time Montgomery gets there. And I know, theoretically, you could blame the lineman, but I keep looking at these plays asking, where's the hole even supposed to be? And I get the impression that it might be on the right side B gap or the right side C gap, sometimes the A gap, but uh, then I look at what it would take for that play to be successful and it kind of feels like Daniels and Daniels and uh, let's say Coward are supposed to pick their linemen up and carry them five yards backwards if that play <laughs> wants to be successful. I mean I, I'm not a professional football coach and I don't have to call these plays for a living but it does surprise me how especially with the I formation coming in simple looks that involve a fullback hitting the gap before the running back gets there certainly with a full head of steam being so much more successful than a lot of Nagy's runs whether it's legitimately time to start asking questions about whether Matt Nagy's run game because you and I could talk about his passing game in a completely separate conversation on whether his running scheme is worth keeping around or whether he should take a really hard look at a completely different approach to running the football. Yeah, and I think that's fair. And I've said on this podcast, and I, I may even have said it to you at, at some point in conversation, I think next season a smart hire for this team is a run game coordinator. You want to try and poach someone from Kyle mm -hmm. Shanahan, something like that where you're getting some kind of a promotion into an assistant assistant coach kind of position where you know, you're, you're Elva. You're not a running back coach. You're, you're closer to an offensive coordinator.
coordinator and you're working with Nagy and you're working with Stan and trying to figure out the best way to run the football. Because look, the mm-hmm. I formation was great, but I think there's other things that this offense could potentially do. I mean, you could absolutely, and especially with Mark Helfrich as the offensive coordinator and some of the concepts that him and Chip Kelly had at Oregon, you could absolutely just run four wide, spread everyone on the defense way out, keep the the defenders thin in the box near the line of scrimmage, and let David Montgomery have some space to operate. That's one of the options. We saw what they could do with the I formation, with the offensive line doing power blocking and running downhill. There's other things that this offense could do to run the football other than the Matt Nagy misdirection and, and traps and a lot of these things where the offensive linemen seem to be running in every direction except forward. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. If that if there's one takeaway that I think we should bring out from the Chargers game, it's not that the I formation is the answer. It's that change in style was positive for this Bears team. You would think that after now, what, their second year of running this offense, that they would have better success at the running plays that they're comfortable with, but they don't seem to be. So, like you mentioned, whether you do what Arizona's doing and you spread things out, or you do what San Francisco's doing, I'm certainly a proponent of this and you bring in a talented fullback who's able to open things up uh, because that's the part of the I formation that I think worked really well with JP Holtz whether it's a tight end or a fullback that's up for discussion the point is that like you're mentioning I think that this run scheme whether it's underbaked I don't know but it's not near as good for the Bears as varying and mixing in more concepts whether you spread things out or you keep things powerful but either way Clearly mixing things up worked better for the Bears than doing what they had for the last six games. And I hope that they find even more ways to change things up. All right. And and as we're, we're talking about change, let, let me ask you this one thing about, about Nagy. And, <laughs> and I, th- I, th- I think this is important. Now, you know, we, we talk about the Andy Reid tree and we, you know, I'll bring up Doug Peterson because the one thing I think Doug Peterson does while he has obviously Andy Reid concepts in his offense, as, as we can watch, he's very good, I think, at you know, molding his offense around the personnel that he has. And mm-hmm. and Jordan Howard's the perfect example where Matt Nagy could do nothing with him. And I was frustrated with Jordan Howard, and I think there were absolutely things that Jordan Howard could do better. And I honestly think Jordan Howard's attitude wasn't great last year either because he didn't like what happened to his run game. And I get it because he likes downhill running. What the Bears did against the Chargers if Jordan Howard was back there, I don't know if he would have had as much success as Montgomery, but he would have had a successful day because that's where he thrives. Mm -hmm. Now, Peterson figures that out, and Jordan Howard is playing much better. He's in that LeGarrette blunt role that that Peterson had a couple years ago, and it's very successful. Nagy has his system and has been trying to put pieces in that fit his system, and in some cases now, he's got square pegs and round holes as much as he tried to get everything to fit. We just saw the I formation here, which, you know, as as we bring up, it it sounds like we're beating a dead horse because we keep bringing up the I formation, but it's really the one thing we have to cling to about change is it finally looks that Nagy, who I still trust overall with his offensive scheming, finally looks like he might be like, all right, I can't just run what I want to run. I need to figure out what I need to run with the personnel that I have. Oh, yeah. And I mean, look, I'm about to say a very, very, very speculative comment here. But I've always kind of gotten the impression that Matt Nagy views the run as decidedly secondary to throwing the football. I mean, it could come from him being a quarterback in Arena League and certainly coming from a very throwing heavy background. But I've always, or I think that this was really one of the first games that he walked in saying, we're going to run the ball first and we're going to try to run the ball last, assuming we can get a lead, which obviously didn't happen. He seems like a very pass first guy. And so when you want to look for examples of him adjusting, usually you find them in the passing game. I'll go back to a game that I think Matt Nagy's widely criticized for, and fairly so. Last year's playoff game against Philadelphia, he came in with this idea that he was going to run a deliberately West Coast short throw, open it up for your playmaker-style passing game against the Eagles, and then just decided to rip the Band-Aid off and go deep over and over and over in that second half to much more success. In that same way, I'm really interested. I think these next nine 
weeks are going to be great as far as granularly studying how Matt Nagy adjusts his offense given what he has to work with because as Trubisky continues to, let's say, struggle uh, in what he's doing, it's becoming clear that if Matt Nagy can't adjust his system, he's going to look every bit as um, strugglesome as the quarterback that's operating his offense, don't you think? Yeah, I, I absolutely think that that's that's an excellent point. And I again, speculation. Yes, I've never heard Matt Nagy say it. One hundred percent. This is a pass first offense. He's a pass first coach, which I don't have a problem with. I just think no. you need to have a better idea of how to run the football and how to mix that in with the pass. Like, agree. You, you know, the, you know, Matt Moore was quarterbacking for the Chiefs, and I don't remember the numbers exactly, but he threw like thirty six passes, and they had like twenty runs. It was something like that. So. Mm-hmm. And they had success. So you can have success passing even if your quarterback isn't Patrick Mahomes, but you have to be able to balance it more with a run that's effective, which we haven't seen until last week, and hopefully we will moving forward. Now, I wanted to start with Matt Nagy for the simple reason that I'm getting a lot of heat on Twitter, and I've gotten some heat in the comments (laughs) section for this podcast about how I've become a Trubisky basher, which I really have. I'm not not going to hide it, but I think a lot of people think I'm – 100% 100% pro Nagy and 0% on Trubisky, which isn't true, which is why I wanted to get to some of the shortcomings of Nagy and, and the and the running game and some of his stubbornness, and hopefully that's changing, but we will see. But let's get to Trubisky here because the, the old chicken or egg thing here, and, and let's just focus on, on the offense and the passing attack, right. is, is it Nagy or is it Trubisky? And as I continue to watch games, and this this Mitch Trubisky against the Chargers may have been the best Mitch Trubisky of the season. I understand he may have looked better against the Redskins, but I think he was really handcuffed against the Redskins based on, I think we had a McVay-Goff situation where Nagy was telling him exactly what to do. This one was a little bit more Mitch Trubisky making decisions, and he was making better ones than he did against New Orleans. Still not what I wanted to see, but I did see improvement. Again, I don't think it's enough improvement where I think I'm going to change my opinion on him, but I saw a little improvement. But that being said, I see Mitch Trubisky missing way too much every single game that I don't think it is fair to criticize Matt Nagy, at least in the passing game, because I'm seeing opportunities for this passing game to work and it is not being executed. I mean, I can't agree with you more. My biggest issue right now with Trubisky, and I've started taking more and more heat slowly, uh, same as you, as I've started my own personal turn on Trubisky. uh, One thing that I'm having trouble with is we were promised, if you will, three things when Trubisky came to Chicago. We were promised excellent pocket presence. We were promised really crisp throwing accuracy and quality decision-making. And one thing that's become more and more clear as I'm watching games in the Chargers game is a great example of all of these is that Mitchell Trubisky is very good at escaping from bad situations in the pocket, but he's not very good inside of it. There's actually a sack, and I disagree with Lester Wilfong on this, and that's okay, where I believe that a better quarterback steps into the pocket on Mitch Trubisky's first sack on seven or on third and 11, not seven 11, uh, but on third and 11, but, because uh, Massey got beat so bad by Bosa, I think that that goes down on Massey in the same way that, and I'm sure you've seen this because you're covering the World Series, and congratulations for that. Uh, sometimes a hit in baseball will get ruled a hit because it was a little bit too harsh to rule as an error, if that makes sense. Uh, one thing that really strikes me, though, and I'm sure you've seen this plenty, is that Matt Nagy will call a whole lot of plays that have zero read in them at all. Different zone beaters that got, for instance, Anthony Miller wide open, and Trubisky was able to deliver good balls on those. But then there were other plays, about six or seven of them, that only involved one read. Check the safety, go here or here. Check this safety, go here or here. The RPO. Check Joey Bosa, do this or that. And Trubisky failed on a lot more of those single-read plays than I would like to admit. That's really troublesome. And then, of course, and we've all seen this, 
his ball placement was spotty in 2018, and it's still spotty in 2019, especially on these kill shot balls like the one to Taylor Gabriel. One thing that's a little bit wild when it comes to Matt Nagy, because he's getting a ton of criticism, let me give you four plays, Bill, that I could change, and I'll tell you what that would do. That ball to Adam Shaheen that a lot of people think a defender got a hand on, I'm making a video that's going to show this. It, he didn't. That ball fell straight through Shaheen's hands, and I mean straight through his hands. So if he catches that, that's four more points. Eddie Pinheiro missed two field goals, both under 45 yards. If you think an NFL kicker should make them, as I do, add six more points. And then if you add the seven points that Mitch Trubisky uh, gets, if he throws that touchdown to Gabriel and the Bears kick a basic extra point, you add seven more points. Add all those, and the Bears are at about 35 points in the game, and I would have been really happy with that. So it's this cavalcade of mistakes that not only the Bears offense are making, but Trubisky isn't helping with that feels like, regardless of what you think of Nagy's play calling, because I agree it's imperfect, and we've talked about that, is really holding the offense back. It really has started to feel as if whatever Matt Nagy calls with the play call, the best Trubisky can do is execute it, and he almost never elevates past the play call. And that's what I was really hoping to see this year from our number two overall pick from 2017. Yeah, and and I completely agree agree with your your sentiment there and Look, I, and I'm not saying that there haven't been drops and, and there haven't been offensive line issues, especially earlier in the season. I, I get all that. But he, he, with, with my thoughts with Trubisky and why I defended him so much in the offseason was the fact that I saw the promise. Like, like the Chargers game, for example. If that was week four of 2018 and I saw the pass to Cohen down the field, the pass to Miller down the field, the little run he did to keep the drive alive and get the first down, mm-hmm. is it to be like, okay. This is something we can build on. But the problem is that it's not week four of 2018. It's halfway through 2019. And what I saw in the Philadelphia game in the fourth quarter and what I saw, the quarterback I saw against the Vikings and the Niners and the Packers at the end of the season that really looked like he was getting a grasp of the offense. Whatever happened in the offseason, whatever happened at the start of the season, there was so much regression. And the regression to me, yes, it's about reading defenses and making the proper decisions and, and putting the ball where it needs to go. And I was having an argument with someone on Twitter. It's not that Mitch Trubisky can't make plays. I would hope he could make plays. He's the number two Mm -hmm. overall pick. He's a talented individual, and he's an athletic individual. The issue is it's not about the plays he is making. It's about the plays he isn't making. He's leaving Mm -hmm. points and yards on the field, and not a few. Every quarterback's going to do it. Even Aaron Rodgers is going to miss a throw or miss a read. It happens. But it's happening at an alarming rate, and I don't think – One, it's fair to criticize Matt Nagy's offense when, like you said, there's 17 points that the Bears missed that weren't on any fault of his, some on Mitch, some on special teams, some some on Adam Shaheen, as you said. That's 17 points. And there's other games where you can go back and the same thing happened. So when the execution is failing and points and yards, especially chunk plays, I've seen Trey Burton open on the scene two or three times. (laughs) I have seen... You know, Javon Wims having a short corner on him where just just throw it up to him where only he can catch it. I have seen so many opportunities watching the coach tape and sit there. And I'm sure Matt Nagy's looking at the same thing going, oh, what Mitch, what, what, what Mitch, oh, oh, Mitch. Like, I just can't get over where we are at this point. It's year three. It's a full, you know, halfway through the second year in the Matt Nagy system. There's just no more excuses for leaving this much on the field. Absolutely. And what I try to do uh, whenever I'm making a judgment about a player is I actually try to see through the eyes of what the defenses against him are doing or from a defensive perspective what the offenses are doing against him because I don't think that there's a better compliment you can get than acknowledgement from a fellow professional that you're a problem. A good example of this that I'll use is positive. I understand that a lot of people think that Eddie Jackson's had a poor season and I know Chuck Pagano's using him very unusually, but whenever he's left 
back in his common, like, two-deep or one-deep safety role, teams just won't throw at him. And that's the best compliment you can give. When it comes to Trubisky, and this is something that we saw in the Saints game, the Chargers game, and the Green Bay game, we keep seeing teams just zone him up. They play zone coverage almost exclusively. And I'm sure you know this, Bill. I know I do. When you're playing man coverage, you're challenging the opposing playmakers to beat your defenders. When you're playing zone coverage, you're challenging the quarterback to find where the soft spot is. And Trubisky can't do it. I know that it's going to sound ridiculous, but as this season's progressed, I've started to look back at that week one game where Matt Nagy got criticized for, what was it, 33 straight passes in a row, and I'm seeing a quarterback or a coach in disbelief that his quarterback isn't executing the offense. I don't think Matt Nagy was trying to lie to us when he talked about Mitch Trubisky's progression, or at least that's my guess at this point, because he seems to be a pretty candid guy, and his play-calling tendencies, where he often just seems to completely vacate the run, are showing me, especially when you look on tape, and then, as I know you've done, uh, you spot all these different open guys all over the field. It looks like the coach is acknowledging the best way to beat these guys is to throw through them, but he doesn't have the quarterback to do it and I understand a lot of Bears fans say well if you don't have the quarterback to do it don't do it that's poor coaching but at some point in the NFL you got to have a quarterback that can make a single man read and I'm not even sure Trubisky can right now well and and here's what I will say and and I'm not going to go down this path because because there's no need and I already did it on Twitter if you have a quarterback (laughs) who can't do it and the fans reaction is well then don't do it and you want to run an offense you're going to run the John Fox Dow Logan's offense. Like mm-hmm. that's that's what fans are at. If that's what a fan is saying to blame Matt Nagy, well then don't do it. Well then that's the option. So that's not a legitimate option. No one wants to see that offense again. So let's nope. let's let's move past this season. You know, they, they didn't make any moves at the deadline, which I think in from from a quarterback perspective is the right move. The only quarterback I would have wanted to see traded is was Josh Rosen, because I think you could have gotten him for a late pick and sit him. Now they didn't do that. They're not gonna have Josh Rosen on this team, at least I wouldn't think. So let's fine. Let's let's move past that. Let's mm-hmm. look at the offseason. Let's assume Mitch Trubisky, whether he's bad enough where they just dump him and eat eat his final year, or they're gonna just leave him in for quote unquote open competition for next right. year at the quarterback position. What would you like to see the Bears do? Whether it be draft without a first round pick, which we know how risky that can be because you need top 15 picks to find quarterbacks in the NFL. Or veterans? Like, look, the answer is not perfect. And when I made a joke and did Mariota Rose in 2020 like a a campaign banner and got crushed, the comments crushed (laughs) me. The idea that was, and I said I made the joke because the slogan was it can't be any worse, but the idea that was, look, this is what we're looking at. Now, I would like a Mariota Rosen combination. I don't think it's going to mm-hmm. happen. It may half of that combination may happen. But what would you like to see the Bears do at the quarterback position moving into 2020? So before I dive into this, I really have to reiterate exactly what you just said, Bill, because you couldn't have phrased it any better. Ryan Pace, uh, I would say for better or for worse, but the answer is for worse. We're seeing that hitched absolutely all of his assets to Mitchell Trubisky being the quarterback. Now that that doesn't or hasn't happened, there aren't a whole lot of great options going forward. And if it's me, what I'm probably doing is I'm going to try to see if I can't sign Mariota, Marcus Mariota, to a fairly reasonable deal because assuming Mark Helfrich keeps his job uh, throughout the rest of the year and the Bears don't try to make him some kind of a scapegoat, that would surprise me a little, but maybe they will. Um, he will just have a little too much connection to a team with a GM that liked him coming out of the draft and uh, his former coach as the offensive coordinator. It makes sense. Mariota's style is fairly similar to Trubisky's in that he's mobile. He's accurate-ish. He's been conservative all his career, though I will point out that he's had that Jay Cutler treatment of five offensive coordinators in his five-year career. So maybe a sixth one would do the trick uh, after a couple of years. But either way, uh, the number one takeaway that I have, and the biggest reason that I was bummed, I know this is crazy, but that I was bummed is that the Bears didn't make some kind of quarterback move at the deadline, is I'm worried that any quarterback we acquire isn't going to be able to learn the offense quickly enough to compete in that 2020 year that I know we've all looked at and said that one's the critical year. 2019 was actually supposed to be the critical year, but it isn't. And we can acknowledge that now. And 
So I would hope that we would have a quarterback that's up to speed. Maybe that leads them to trading for, say, Nick Foles or, uh, dare I say it, Alex Smith, because I, I can't imagine somebody's leg is healthy after 17 surgeries. But my guess, and what I guess I'd like to see, I think the best option is to try to sign somebody like Marcus Mariota so that you waste zero draft capital at all. Um, And then you draft somebody high in 2021 should that not work out. Another option would be to trade for somebody cheaper like Josh Rosen, who for all I know could be an attitude conflict with Matt Nagy. Uh, But you do want a developmental uh, player, whether you get him late in the 2019 draft, early, or, well, sorry, the 2020 draft, or early in the 2021 draft. That's up for discussion. But I am of the opinion, and I'm curious to hear what you think, that if you try to draft a second-round 2020 quarterback, they're going to develop too late. You don't have the year that Derek Carr got before he had to take over the Raiders. And even then, he really only exploded in his third year in uh, with the Raiders. And so I don't know if the Bears, who it feels like the clock is ticking on in terms of their roster's general time, have the time to wait for a true rookie to develop in Nagy's offense. No, I think I think that's very fair, which is why Look, if the Bears decide to draft a quarterback in the second round in this upcoming draft, I'm not going to complain because they are addressing, obviously, a a significant need. Now, I've been kind of doing an an exercise to kind of look at, well, you know, if you look at right now, and I know things can change, especially once they get into the combine and really start looking at quarterbacks. But when you look at some of the top quarterbacks right now, I was doing an exercise like, all right, you could get someone like Jake Fromm, who's got a very, from, from all, you know, scouting reports a very low ceiling but a very high floor where he's probably a guy who can come in not embarrass you but not make a lot of plays that's probably someone you could get in the second round if you want to get into the late later portion of the first round and get someone like Eason you know Eason's got a lot of a lot of question marks as well and and that's thing now you're going to have to trade both those second round picks if mm-hmm. you want to really catapult up to where some of these top quarterbacks are going to be, like, say, Herbert, that's probably going to be, again, I'm guessing here, that's probably going to be around the 10th pick of the draft. Not only are you going to have to package sense. these two second-round picks, you're going to have to package your 2021 first to get up there. Yep. And if you were sitting there going, you know... Um, I got to get all the way to the top. Yeah, you want to get all the way to the top and get get your choice of uh, uh, Tua or get your choice of um, why am I drawing a blank on LSU? Oh, jeez, Burrow, Burrow, Joe Burrow. Thank you. Um, You want to do that? I mean, you're talking about an obscene trade that would be highly criticized if Joe Burrow or whoever (laughs) isn't Dan Marino, because you're talking about not only trading both your second round picks this year, you're probably going to have to trade three future number one picks to get in that. Like, that's the kind of capital to get a quarterback that high this year. It's not a sensible approach. So what I think 100 percent they should do is bring in a veteran. If you're not going to bring in a guy like Rosen, bring in a veteran like Mariota, like Alex Smith. If that leg is medically cleared, I'd be willing to give Alex Smith a shot, but I'll say this about Alex Smith. If that's the situation, I'm not comfortable with Mitch Trubisky just being my only other quarterback. Because I can't trust Alex Smith to hold up. So, in that situation... You know, if it's let's say we've been talking Mariota, it's Mariota. I take a fifth, sixth round pick flyer on a quarterback, which you know is a lottery ticket, probably isn't going to pan out, but maybe you get Gardner Minshew. Who knows? Mm -hmm. So take a shot there and then take another shot in the first round of 2021. Because at that point, Pace and Nagy, who by the end of the 2021 season, as much as I am a supporter of them now, if they haven't figured out the quarterback situation in the next two and a half years, which is a significant amount of football, that's when those seats are going to be burning hot and there may be a house cleaning at Hallis Hall. That gives them not one, not two, but three opportunities to potentially get the quarterbacks. Well, actually, four if you want to count Trubisky to get the quarterback position correct. Absolutely. I think that that's the best option. I actually really like the idea of, frankly, having two competition quarterbacks in this season. Like, to go with your Mariota Rosen thing, 
why not become sort of an attitude of mine, especially if Miami is going to draft Tua. What are they going to do with Rosen? Now you have Fitzpatrick and uh, Rosen and Tua on the same roster. But the most important thing here that I always keep coming back to and the biggest reason that I do think that ultimately we're going to ride a veteran in 2020 is that I look at all these Andy Reid offenses and I notice a consistency that, um, let me just lay it out on the table, we don't have in our offense, and that's a really exceptionally good tight end. And I know that there are there are some people that support Trey Burton, but it's not a huge group of people. But Trey Burton is not Zach Ertz, and he's not Travis Kelsey. And I have to imagine that with the two second-round picks that we have, one of them is likely to be an edge rusher. I just have to assume, especially with Leonard Floyd's contract starting to um, – I don't know if he'll be or if the Bears can frankly afford him, but if we went edge rusher and tight end in the 2020 draft, we very well may address the two biggest concerns that we have on the team that aren't the quarterback position. And part of me wonders, Bill, if we had Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller's playing at a high level and Javon Wims keeps doing Javon Wims things that he does, and we added somebody with the talent level of Ertz or Kelsey or even just in that mold, what would this offense look like and what other options would Matt Nagy have? And would that, even if you just had a quarterback that was, play, or that was similar to Alex Smith, good enough to get the job done, would that be a better plan surrounding him with even more talent than investing high in a quarterback? I don't know, but that's where I look at somebody like Mariota that costs zero draft picks and about half of what Mitch Trubisky's extension was something we thought it was going to be, you know, before the season started. And I think it makes a lot of sense and that they might do that and pawn their quarterback choice off their quote unquote true quarterback choice off until that 2021 draft. All right. We, let me ask you. We've been talking for quite a while. We could talk forever. Yeah, we have. But let me ask you one final question here. Uh, on this podcast, and obviously the answer here would be: um, I'm going to ask you, what do you want to? What's the best case scenario for the Bears for Mitch Trubisky for the rest of the season? Obviously, the best is that the 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 light the light bulb clicks on, the switch is flipped, and Trubisky suddenly out of nowhere becomes the guy we all hoped he would be, and the Bears go, we do have our quarterback. Obviously, that's the best-case scenario, but let's assume that one is out the window, which is about a 1% chance that that's happening. Mm-hmm. Is it better for the Bears to have Mitch Trubisky look okay, where maybe there is a little light where you say maybe there's a chance he he develops and maybe the Bears the Bears will still commit to a veteran but they'll say all right mm-hmm. they'll go Mariota Trubisky and that's it and kind of see what happens or is it better for this team for Trubisky to stink and this bottom out which is dangerous with the locker room I get but leave yep. no doubt that the quarterback position must be completely moved on next season so it's funny because I think that it is so technically, I'm going to choose in that bottom-out direction, but I do think that there's a couple of shades of gray that I want to differentiate. I do think that there's a world, and the Chargers game is actually, in my opinion, a great example of this, where Mr. Trubisky plays badly enough to clearly be a problem that needs solving, but good enough that some of the playmakers around the Bears are still able to get involved in the game. My biggest worry, and I'll keep it short and sweet because I know a lot of my answers have been very long-winded, uh, my biggest uh, worry is that the Bears are going to have Trubisky get laser-focused on by defenses as if they weren't focused on him already, and that it's going to dam up whatever running lanes that David Montgomery may have, and it's going to negate Anthony Miller's ability to get the football at all. And like you said, it's going to create locker room trauma as teams or as the team says, why in the world are we still playing this guy? This is our quarterback? Maybe. Uh, truth be told, I've never been in a professional locker room. But I see that uh, that top end of the bottom option where he plays well enough that the offense can function sort of but badly enough that the bears don't commit another year to him as being probably the best direction going forward because i unless he strikes gold it just clicks and everything works great i'll always be worried that we're going to get another um what's a, another saints performance out of him when we really need him to play well yeah, and, and, and here's the one thing that I think is interesting that's kind of a secondary story is for Mitch Trubisky, for a quarterback, this, is, this isn't Kevin White who's had a ton of injuries, and I'm sure even Kevin White understood why it happened. For mm-hmm. Mitch Trubisky to be on the roster next season 
as a quarterback without his fifth-year option picked up is very strange. And here's the one very slight chance that's risky here. If Mitch does actually play well next season, again, I'm not expecting it, and you didn't pick up the fifth-year option, you've created a mess. But if you pick up the fifth-year option and Mitch, you know, you can always rescind it, and Mitch gets hurt, which we have seen now. That's that's there's two injuries, so he's a little prone to that. And Mitch gets hurt. Now you're on the hook for a very expensive Mitch Trubisky. So you cannot pick up the option. But I also don't know if you'll be able to trade him at his salary either. I don't even if it's a six-round pick. I don't know if anyone's going to want to have Trubisky on their on their roster for that kind of money. So how the Bears handle Trubisky? is actually, even if he's not the guy, how they get out of the Mitch Trubisky business, so to speak, is also an interesting one. Oh, yeah. Uh, long and short, this is this is the moment that we are going to see what Ryan Pace and probably Matt Nagy by proxy are really made of. I mean, they've got to make a crisp and clear determination that either Mitch is or isn't the guy, and when they make it, they can't look back and they need to be right. Because Ryan Pace already looked uh, looked basically the uh, metaphorical all of Chicago in the eyes and said, this Trubisky guy is the guy, and he's looking wrong right now. So what happens from here is going to be huge for this franchise, and as I see it, is going to determine whether or not the Bears are going to be competitive in either 2020, 2021, or frankly, if we're going to billow out and have to rebuild everything and we're looking at closer to 2022, which, goodness, I hope that's not the case. Yeah, I hope it's not the case either, and I think you're right. While I think Ryan Pace now has proven he's worthy of a general manager position and he's worthy of of you know being at the NFL caliber, this is going to be, in essence, his defining moment of can mm-hmm. he find the quarterback to put this entire team together? And if he doesn't, he's not going to be on the Chicago Bears after the next couple of seasons. So there he is, at Robert K. Schmitz on Twitter. Robert, thanks so much for coming on. Make sure you catch his podcast every Sunday. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Bill. Happy to be on. All right, there he is. A good good conversation there with Robert. Always enjoy having having a conversation with him because he really gives you great analysis on exactly what's going on. And he'll he'll sit there and he'll be modest and he's not not an NFL coach, he's not an NFL scout, but he really does a great job analyzing film and really figuring out what's happening and what the problems are. So this has been quite a lengthy podcast, so no point to continue to babble on here. So we will have another podcast next week. Hopefully the Chicago Bears will rebound against the Philadelphia Eagles and even up their record, but let's be honest most likely going to be three and five here at the halfway point of the season this one's in in philadelphia philly's coming off a good win against buffalo this one is going to be tough and if jordan howard runs it down our lovely defense's throats that's going to be a tough pill to swallow so that's going to do it everybody bear down we'll talk to you next week adios